0: Well, it's really good to be here again, and to see all of you. I have a great fondness and affection for this congregation, have for a long, long time, and I appreciate so much the encouragement and example you've been to to me and to my family for, for many, many years. You knew Kelly and her family long before you knew me, and you've gotten to know me fairly well the last 40 years. But so thankful to be here with you. I'll have more introductory comments before the morning sermon. But if you will, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We are going to talk today and in the evening sessions of the meeting about building the body for Jesus. All those lesson titles are on the board and the primary passages are on the board as well. In the morning sessions, it will be in the book of Hebrews, as Drew said, and the title for that little series is Firm Faith in a Fallen World. And we're going to talk about how that our, fir- our faith is firmly rooted in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Hebrews 1, his divinity. Hebrews 2, his humanity. Then we're going to skip to Hebrews 4 and finish with the promise of Christ. Our hope is firmly rooted in the promise of Christ. So that's what we'll be doing in the morning sessions. But for today and for the evening sessions, as we talk about building the body for Jesus, our primary focus is going to be on how that in Christ, we are the people of God who are part of the church in the universal sense, it is true. But God gathers us in local congregations. For us to work amongst each other and to help each other and to grow each other in the faith. And so, as Jesus exemplified what it means to serve God as he lived in this world, we are to exemplify and exude what it means to serve God in the way we interact with one another. And as we do that well, it will help us to be able to evangelize also. Those are the the things that we'll be talking about. And as we look at his example, we're going to start in Mark chapter 1. And Jesus did several things in this passage that I want us to pay attention to, three especially. And uh, this will be interactive in the class hour. We have 35 minutes. We have 31 minutes now. But uh, this will be interactive, so uh, your comments will be very much appreciated. So let's walk with him. Let's walk with him. Let's come down to verse 14. Let's begin this journey. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here we see Jesus in his travels. And as he he journeys through, um, who has been apprehended at this point? John the Baptist. Why did John the Baptist get apprehended? He told the truth to the wrong people. And the truth he told the wrong person sounded a lot like what the truth needs to be said today as well. What was that? (laughs) To repent, but why? It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. They had an illegitimate marriage situation and John confronted the king himself and so he is apprehended as a result. Now the message of John and the message of Jesus is very similar in these verses in what way? Somebody already said it. I did I'm sorry? It's a message of repentance. It's a message of repentance. Can you recall a single time... When a prophet of God came and repentance was not somewhere at the heart of his message? Probably not. (laughs) So it is a message of repentance. And the way it's described in verse 15 is repent and believe the gospel. We're going to talk about that in more detail here in just a moment. So where does Jesus come as he brings this message? Into Galilee. How familiar is that territory to Jesus at this point in his life? where he's born and raised. He's taking this message home. And folks, the message of God, even the message of repentance, doesn't just need to go out to the broad, wide world. Sometimes it needs to come right at home. And in a nation, in a community, and even in our own families sometimes, that message has to come home because that is the only way to God, is to turn to him and to follow him. Now, he summarizes, or the the text summarizes the message as, he came preaching the gospel of God. Now, gospel, what what does that word gospel mean? It's good news. Now, how how can a message of repentance be a message of good news? If you repent, you can be saved. If we live in sin, can we be saved like that? we refuse to turn and follow god can we be saved like that if we concentrate only on the things that god says that sound very uplifting and very positive and that's all we ever think about and that's all we ever hear can we be saved like that no we've got to hear this message of repentance that is the good news of god and it's good news not not simply because god says turn and go a different direction but because god says in turning in the way that he wants us to, we're turning away from all that is wrong and we're turning toward him so that we might serve him and serve him well. Now, what did Jesus mean in verse uh, 15 when he said, the time is fulfilled? What do you mean by that? The time the prophet spoke of. Uh, name us a prophet, maybe even a phrase from a prophet where a prophet says something about that time which had which had come don 't all don 't all speak at once. <laughs> I heard something over here. maybe i did what 's that leon <clears throat> so <clears throat> What, what is a, who is a prophet, and what is a statement from a prophet that indicates that Jesus, that time had, uh, was going to come? Prophet predicting the coming of the time of Jesus. Daniel. What's something Daniel said that told of that time when Jesus came? All right, in Daniel chapter 2, Sister Nova said, you've got in the days of these kings, the fourth empire that Daniel's discussing, the Roman Empire, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Jesus came in the days of that fourth kingdom, in the days of the Roman Empire. And so the time has been fulfilled. Uh, somebody look up Galatians 4 and verse 4, and somebody else look up Hebrews 1 and verse 2. Galatians 4 and verse 4 on the one hand, I'm sorry, Galatians 1 and verse 2 on the one hand, Galatians 4 and verse 4 on the other hand. Okay, who's got Galatians 4 four? So when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. In the days when the law of Moses was still in effect, the time became fulfilled when God would send His Son to the world. And that is exactly what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 1 and in verse 15. What the prophets had anticipated and prophesied concerning, that time was fulfilled. It was now time for God's Son to come. And so Galatians 4.4 4 is a wonderful commentary on these words of Jesus. All right, who has Hebrews 1.2? Yes, sir. Alright, so there we see that in in the coming of Jesus we have the completion of the will of God and He would come in the last days. In the last days. He would come at the end of the Mosaic era to introduce the New Covenant era. So we're going to have a changing of the guards from the Mosaic system to the Gospel of Jesus and as those as those things take place we are ushered into what we live in right now, and that is the last era of time of God dealing with humanity. God had been working all the way through history, at least since Genesis 3.15, when God told uh, the couple in the garden about the problem of sin because they had violated the will of God, and how that God would send one to the world, and he would be the dividing line between the way of Satan and the way of God. And he would provide hope for broken sinners, which is everybody of an accountable age. And so through all of that time of history, Genesis 3.15, all the way through the end of Malachi and into the the opening of the Gospels in the New Testament, then the time was fulfilled and Jesus came to usher into us this final era of God dealing with humanity. Now think about this. God had his prophets for thousands of years predict the coming of the very moment when Jesus came to be the guard who changed it all. When the changing of the guard came, it was him who did it. And so God comes. And that brings us to our next phrase we want to take a look at. And that is, and and there are three related phrases about preaching the gospel. You've got the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, and repent and believe the gospel. The second of these is the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, we've already been reintroduced to Daniel chapter 2. There are many other Old Testament prophecies where those kinds of things are discussed. And and I'm sitting here and not doing my clicker at all. I'm just acting like I don't have anything for y'all to write down. (laughs) And you're having to write it down without me giving you anything uh, to go on besides what we talked about. So preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and then, uh uh-oh, getting ahead of myself preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and these kingdom prophecies Isaiah 2 Daniel 2 many many other places we're talking about the time when not only would God set up a kingdom but folks God didn't just send some king like David God came himself God came himself, clothed in human flesh, as the ultimate example of what King David was a small representation of. He is the ultimate king. So when the kingdom of God is established by Jesus in the first century, God himself established the kingdom. Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophecies. Now, Daniel chapter 2, a little bit more you remember the great statue that was there? What happened to that large statue that represented four empires? What, what happened to it in Daniel 2? It's broken in pieces. What caused it to be broken into pieces and to blow away like the wind drives the chaff, the chaff away? What happened? All right. Okay. So in, in, the, in the visuals of, of the prophecy, what appeared? What came? Small stone. What did that small stone do? Where did it hit the image? Hit it right at the foundation. Hit it right at the feet. And then blew the whole thing up. And then what happened to the small stone? It grew it to a great mountain. Now, over and over again in Old Testament prophecy, The term mountain is often used figuratively. You just have to look at the passage to figure this out. But often the term mountain is used figuratively of a kingdom or of a government. And here we have the government of God established by the Son of God himself, the rock of ages cleft for me, in the words of Exodus 33 and of the song that we sing. This small stone, who is Jesus, this carpenter's son from Galilee who walked and talked among the people, he then shows himself to be who he really is. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And in the establishment of his kingdom, which shows the end of earthly empire and the beginning of God's reign in an ultimate way in the hearts, of, hearts and lives of, of humanity, that this small stone grows into a government or a mountain that supersedes all governments or mountains. Okay, guys, I am... American and I am a lifelong Texan and it gets even better than that I'm a lifelong East Texan yeah (laughs) but as thankful as I am for my for my roots my American roots my Texan roots and my East Texas roots kingdom of God is more important to me than any earthly nation or any earthly circumstance Human nations will rise and fall, and I am thankful our nation arose. But God's kingdom rises never to fall, but to conquer hearts and lives of people not just in America, but throughout the world, and not just for our time, but times past, and then whatever future time this earth is allowed to continue on in. And when Jesus came and said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, he was about to do something in a way that had never been done like that before to provide a hope for all humanity. And thus, the good news was being fulfilled in their day. Now, the last statement there is repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. That is always the proper response to the gospel. Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized. Mark 16.16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. That is always the proper response to the gospel, is to repent and believe the gospel. And the only way to turn to God and and to be in fellowship with God is to turn from the past and to turn to Him to live for Him and to be what He wants us to be. And whatever Jesus did and whatever Jesus exemplified and whatever Jesus said, the rest of the New Testament fills out everything else we need to know about that so that we can be the kingdom of God in the world today. And we can show people who he is and that they may follow him. I want you to think about three things about the gospel. The gospel is good news from God. The gospel is good news about God and what God did, especially through Jesus. And the gospel is the good news of fellowship with God, of humanity being in partnership with God so that His will is fulfilled and His will is more fully made known. And thus, His will can be enacted. In the hearts and lives of lost sinners as they turn to him for redemption. That is the gospel of God. Well, that's point one and we have 15 minutes left. Maybe 16 if we stretch it. The second thing I want to talk about is when when we walk with Jesus and we, we hear the message that he spoke, one of the things we learn is how important that message was to him. But secondly, how important that message will be to his true people. Who follow him? Starting with the, the early disciples that, that walked and talk amongst, talked amongst him. And then once he fulfills the things of his, of his um, death and resurrection and the uh, establishment of, of his true kingdom. Once all those things take place, then that same message is going to go forward in a, in a fuller way. As it is enacted in its full sense. So in Acts 2 you have the first sermon in the fullness of the gospel that is preached. And it's enacted. Everything else has been preparatory until that time. But then it's the first one in its fullness that is preached. And from that point forward we preach not about the coming of Jesus and, and he's going to die eventually. But we point back and say he has fulfilled those things. The day of salvation is now. So we are taking that gospel to the world. But in doing that, Jesus did something else that we need to imitate. And that is, he didn't didn't do it all himself. At least the things that others could help with, he didn't do all himself. Only he could be the prophet who would live and die and arise. But as far as taking that message to other people we can do that too and so sharing the load with others come down to verse 16 we're going to read 16 through 20 as he was going along by the sea of galilee he saw simon and andrew the brother of simon casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and jesus said to them follow me i will make you become fishers of men immediately they left their nets and followed him Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and the hired servants, and went away to follow him. Here, Jesus, who is the teacher, like no one ever was before, and no one ever will be sent. And rather than being the one who personally would do all the teaching for all time, what he did was he incorporated others so that they might learn what it means to teach this wonderful message so they could go and do likewise. And even today, what did Paul tell Timothy? He said, the message that you've heard, he said, teach this to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. So we need to be mentors to people who are not as skilled as we so that they might be able to teach the message. That's what Jesus did. And folks, that's what, that's what good leaders do. Good leaders don't seek to do everything themselves. Good leaders seek to incorporate the ones that are involved with them as they work together so that others might learn and grow and be capable. Think about parents raising children. If we do everything for our children the entire time they're, they're growing up, how capable will they be when they leave the nest? When they try to fly, how well is that going to work? Maybe, maybe more crashing and burning than, than we would like for there to be. Uh, we, we have to teach them not just about how that, you know, you need to thank me because I do all this stuff for you. But we need to teach them that they, this is their family too. And so they're incorporated into the activities. And Jesus, as our king, incorporates his subjects that we might go and do likewise. So that's what leaders do. That's what elders do. Uh, That's what um, Bible class teachers do. That's what preachers do. We should try to pass along not just the message, but help to incorporate people so they're capable of taking that message to others also. And thus we see sharing the load with fellow laborers as a very important aspect of this. In fact, in the Great Commission, what did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, go into all the world. We are to take the gospel as far and wide as we possibly can. I want to spend the last 11 minutes talking about this last one. And that is Jesus also exemplified what it means to be a contrast to the culture. A contrast to the culture. Okay, you read your Bible. How many times in the Bible do you see circumstances where godliness was the primary culture that people lived in? How many times do you see that? It's kind of rare, isn't it? I mean, even in ancient Israel. Ancient Israel, uh, they, they, were, they were the kingdom of God in, in a sense in those days. They were to be the loyal subjects of God. They had at their height, they had David as their king. So you look at them, but it's a roller coaster. You read Judges before the king period, and then you read in the king period, it's a roller coaster. And they they ride that thing, highs and lows, ups and downs. They're all over the map when it comes to whether they're faithful or whether they're not. So as a general rule, the godly are different from everybody else and in a culture we think about American culture and and some folks call America a Christian nation uh, the reality is even in America as much as we have godly values put forward a lot in our society as Christians we're a contrast to this culture and God's people always have been so come down to verse 21 let's read a little further They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. There we see him being a contrast in his manner of teaching. Jesus, different from how the Jewish leaders and the Jewish teachers taught. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, And he cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Somebody finish up 25 through 28. So Jesus is a contrast in his manner of teaching with the common way that the teachers back then taught. Folks, in our teaching, we've got to be a contrast to our culture when it comes to how our culture teaches too. What are some of the ways that our culture teaches? And and specifically what I'm trying to get at right now is different kinds of churches and different kinds of preachers. How, How do they do it? But we've got to do it different from that. What are some ways we have to do it different than that? okay now so if if our primary concern is growing numbers in our culture today what would we have to tell people if we want to draw in the masses what would we have to tell people today to do that whatever they want to hear what does our culture want to hear I'm fine. Come as, come as you are. there's nothing wrong. Everybody, everybody, we're all good in the sight of God. God loves us all, and so you don't need to make any changes. You just come like you are. That is a very popular mentality. What's, the, what's another popular mentality? we've got to be a contrast to? It. God loves everybody no matter what. So it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. God loves you so much that there's no way you can be lost. We live in an entertainment culture, too, where having somebody who is a good storyteller, somebody who's very funny, somebody who is known in popular culture as being very engaging, and, and that's, what, that's what's put forward by our culture a lot today. Now, we could keep going. But I want us to consider for a moment the contrast of Jesus to his culture and the way his, those teachers taught, and think about the contrast in our culture and a lot of the teaching that is done. So a lot of the teaching that's done today is that whatever your lifestyle is, God may not like it. But God loves so much, he's okay with it. He may not like it, but he's willing to accept you no matter what you do. Now, Jesus said repent. Jesus said repent. If Jesus were to come into these churches and have on a disguise, they don't know what he looked like, so he'd be disguised no matter what. (laughs) But if he were to come in and he were to have on a disguise and he were to bring to them the message that he brought in the first century, folks that are looking to... To live in, in a lifestyle that the Bible says is wrong, but yet God's going to rubber stamp it and it's going to be okay, they're not going to be happy because that's not the way Jesus taught. Somebody says, Yeah, but Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. Yes, but what was his message with publicans and sinners? It was repent. He didn't come to say, Guys, y'all are, y'all are just fine. He came to say, Guys, you're not fine. You're spiritually sick. You're spiritually lost. You need redemption. And you've got to come to God. You've got to change to be what God wants you to be. You've got to let the seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God, germinate in your heart to change you from what you are toward what God wants you to be. You've got to be willing to do that. That is the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus wasn't just about be a good neighbor, be nice to people, um, don't honk at somebody when you're, when you're in a line and you're really frustrated. Uh, you know, it, that, that's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is sin is sin, and we need to repent of sin, every form of sin. Then when it comes to entertainment, now Jesus was a great storyteller, Right? parables terrific form of teaching but it's telling a story with a spiritual impact but was the story ever the point the story was never the point we can we can find speakers who are really great at telling stories and when we get through those were some great stories but the teaching of jesus was stories that were intended to prick the heart to stir the soul toward repentance and devotion to God and transformation into the image of Christ so that we might honor God and that we might help each other follow God. That's why Jesus did what he did. It was never for entertainment value. It would have been incredibly entertaining from a purely worldly point of view to see Jesus take a small amount of food and multiply it to feed Thousands, that'd be incredibly entertaining. It'd be amazing, it would be a dumbfounding to see him walk on the water, to see him heal the sick, raise the dead, to see him cast out demons from a carnal point of view. That would be exhilarating. But if you'll recall, the people who viewed those things in a purely carnal way, they turned from him and they didn't walk with him anymore. They turned from him and they didn't walk with him anymore. And Jesus turned to the apostles. This is the end of John chapter 6. Jesus turned to the apostles. He said, you're going to go away too. Peter said, where can we go? You are the one with the words of eternal life. And so from a carnal point of view, people look at things a certain way. That's not our motivation. And that must not be our manner of teaching. We must be a contrast to the culture. Now, there's something else I wanted to to pay attention uh, to in this. So, Jesus confronts a demon. And when Jesus confronts a demon, what is the response of the demon, the unclean spirit? Okay, you are the... Holy One of God. The demons recognized who Jesus was. You are the Holy One of God. So they recognized him for who he was, but did they honor him for who he was? No, they did not. And in their culture, not only did the demons recognize who he was, but not honoring for who he was. But the Jewish leaders saw him, and they neither recognized him for who he was, nor honored him for who he was. And then Jesus comes and he casts out the demon. And, here, and here's where we conclude <laughs> in a minute and a half. So when he casts out the demon... Come down a little bit further and notice in verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, rebuked the demon saying, be quiet and come out of him, which by the way, how much do we need to hear from Satan and his minions? We don't need to hear anything from them. We don't need to hear anything from them. Be quiet and come out of him. Verse 36, throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were amazed so that they debated among themselves, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits that they obey him. Don't you notice when the the demon was cast out, the person who was demon-possessed was thrown into convulsions. Was it an easy process for a person demon-possessed to be free from that? It was not. It was not. It It was agonizing. It was agonizing to see someone with a demon being cast out. you ever seen anybody have an epileptic convulsion, for example? Guys, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. And here, the casting out of the demon looks something like that. It also wasn't easy for the one that it was cast out of. Now, here's the point I want to make with that. Anytime people have to change from sin to righteousness... Anytime repentance happens, it's always hard. Repentance is never easy. But how wonderful to be free from a demon and how wonderful to be free from sin. Thank you so much.